So I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know? I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying too. Yeah? It's a question, actually. Do you believe in miracles? Now, I don't need y'all to answer that question for me. But I do want you to answer that question for yourselves. Right now. Do you believe in miracles? And if you do, then I want y'all to circle up with me right now. Come on, let's go. Get him in here. Is that miracle thing from a movie or real life? Both. And so it is. It is real life. He is risen! It's an old traditional Christian greeting back and forth, and it dates all the way back to the time that Jesus' first disciples would walk through the holy city of Jerusalem, and it was sort of the way they greeted one another, not sort of, it was the way they greeted one another, because it was at the center of their daily life. One of them would say, he is risen, and everybody would shout back, he is risen indeed. So wherever you're sitting, uh, here in the worship center in West Des Moines, or one of our overflow rooms uh, around the building, man, incredible to see all of you here at any of our campuses or local sites uh, all around the upper Midwest, those of you who are online, uh, everybody, everybody, one church in, in thousands of locations right now. He is risen! He is risen indeed. Yeah, he is, in real life. I hope you heard the assistant coaches on the way out from Coach Lasso's inspiring speech that he, you know, borrows from the United States Olympic hockey team from 1980. Al Michaels famously said, do you believe in miracles? And so now Coach Lasso is asking the same question of his soccer team. Do you believe in miracles? He says, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. I believe, and I want to know if you believe, my team, do you believe in miracles? And if you do, he says, I, I want you to get in and, and, and let's go out together as one team. Individuals, yes, but, but as one team. Because this is life-changing. If we believe in hope, if we believe in belief, if we believe in miracles, it changes the scenery. And here's the thing about that. I think a lot of people say, well, okay, I believe in hope because the alternative is just too dark. I, I believe in belief because I, I just don't want to not believe things. And, and, and what's the loss? If I believe in Jesus, if I believe that he's the savior of the world, and, and I die and it turns out to be true, then I'm going to go to heaven. And so that's great. And if I don't, well, you know, hanging out with church people isn't the worst thing to do in the world, and our kids are going to learn good morals along the way. So it's kind of, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking at the probabilities and the possibilities, and I, I might as well just put it out there as an insurance policy for heaven. I hope your faith is deeper than that. Because if it isn't, you're missing the scenery. You're missing the new life. You're missing the one who comes to us today and says, follow me. Here's the thing about Jesus. Because I think sometimes we, we, we think about faith and Christianity in a way that Christianity really is not. We think about Jesus in a way that he is not. And I say this with nothing but love in my heart. Please understand me, but sometimes I think we, and I put we in there, not just you. Sometimes I think when we have this attitude of, gosh, we're really doing Jesus a favor by following him. We're really doing Jesus a favor by, by believing in him. Coach Lasso famously put up a, a handmade sign that he painted over his office door in the locker room because he wanted his players to believe in something. But here's the good news of Easter for us today in Jesus' resurrection. You get to believe in something that isn't just, you know, superhero movie fiction and, and fantasy-like. That there's this hero that comes down from heaven who conquers death and sin for you. As if it was a made-up story, a fairy tale too good to be true. It's real life. The one assistant coach says to the other assistant coach on the way out, is, this an, is that line, do you believe in miracles from a movie or real life? And the other coach deadpans back. It's both. And so it is. It's both with Jesus. 
It's more than a fairy tale for sure, more than a fantasy, more than a Sunday school flannel graph. Remember the flannel graphs? You have the flannel graph empty tomb and the flannel graph tombstone and the flannel graph Jesus on the flannel graph cross. Any of you old enough to know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you really missed out. And Mrs. Kirkpatrick, the very kind and saintly first grade teacher, would tell the story of Easter and Jesus would come down from the flannel graph cross and you'd put him inside the tomb. I don't know how she did his magic. He just sort of disappeared. And I think she hid Jesus in her pocket for a little while. And then she'd open up the flannel graph tomb and here comes Jesus she had another pocket or something, and he's got a glorified body, and he's wearing a white robe, and everyone's like, oh, wow. But if you aren't careful, it's just like, you know, a fable, legend, a story we tell so that we can believe in hope, so that we can believe in belief, so that we can believe in miracles. Really good news for you today. It's also real life. I mean, Jesus actually did this. With all due respect, when we say to Jesus, you know, or we hint to Jesus, or we have this attitude toward Jesus, man, are we doing a favor when we follow you? Actually, he's the one doing us a favor when we follow him. All of it. It's completely for us. It's a gift for us. You know what you can't find in the Bible? You'll never find in the Gospels. You'll find Jesus inviting people to follow him, but you'll never once find Jesus begging you to follow him. It's as if Jesus walks into your life with this confidence, into this world with this, this depth and this substance, and he shows up with this, this, this confident spirit, and he says, if you can't tell who I am from the way I lived, I really don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to beg you to follow me. It should be obvious. Look at my life. Look at the way I related to people. Look at the way I taught. Look at the things that I did. Look at what I lived for. Look at my purpose. Look at where it all led. Look, look at the fact that my enemies could find no fault with me. Who do you know who can say that? My enemies can find no fault with me. He, his enemies, the Bible says, could find no fault with him, and it's true. Their only problem with Jesus is he was a threat to their comfortable version of who God was. Maybe he's a threat to yours too. That you have a comfortable version of God because this is the God you want. This is the God that you've invented. This is the God who, who makes you feel better about things. And so you believe in hope for the sake of hope, but not because your God has any substance. It's flannel graph. It's fairy tale. It's movie fiction. It isn't real life. The real life Jesus, this is the one you want to know. The resurrected Jesus. The Jesus who shows up, dies on a cross, and rises from the dead. Even in John chapter 6, when some people are starting to leave Jesus because his teaching is too challenging for them, because it doesn't fit into the comfortable box of who they want God to be, they start disappearing, and Jesus doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. He's like, come on, you guys, please. Please, you got to follow my religion. Please, you got to. None of that. It's just not Jesus' attitude or his heart. It's much more, hey, I'm here to bless you. I'm here to give you the life you've always wanted. I'm here to show you a better way, a deeper truth, and the pathway to a more abundant life. And if you can't see it, my heart breaks for you. But I'm not going to conform my mission to your preconceived notions of who God is supposed to be. I'm going to invite you to follow me, but I'm not going to beg. And when those people started to leave, Jesus said to his disciples, are you going to leave too? And one of the disciples responds to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. You're the only one that we can believe in like that, that we can have that kind of depth to our faith. So I want you to believe in hope, and I want you to believe in belief, and I want you to believe in miracles because it's real life, not because it just beats the alternative, not because it's just optimism for the sake of optimism's sake, but that we actually have some substance to Christianity. Here's the thing about Christianity, and I'll say this up front, that's in contrast to any other philosophy of life, spirituality, even any other, and I say this with much due respect for the major world religions of this world. That was sort of redundant, but I'm going to go with it. Jesus in Christianity is the only one that's based on a public event. All the others are saying... I want you to believe in my philosophy. It's private, it's mine, but I want to share it with you. Others will say, I had this vision, I had this spiritual experience, I had this moment, and you're just going to have to trust me. There were no witnesses. It was not a public thing, it was a private thing. You just have to believe me because I say so. And you can believe in that. You're free to do so. God gives you the freedom to, to make that call. 
But I want to invite you to look closer today at what you believe in and why. And whether or not it really has the substance and the depth that you believe. That's worth believing in. That's worthy of your belief. So that your belief is well placed and your hope is well placed. And your faith is well placed. See, there's a, there's a difference between sort of a shallower belief and faith and, and a much deeper version And we need that right now. When Coach Lasso told his team, go out there, and he did the miracle speech and the whole thing, he was probably hoping, like the USA Olympic team, there'd be this big upset. They'd beat the Soviet Union uh, of their day. They'd beat Manchester City. That's who they're going out to play. But I love the way the Ted Lasso story spins it because they actually go out after the big inspiring speech and they lose. And that also kind of helps, uh, forces us to struggle with our faith sometimes. It challenges us because this world's pretty dark. And it's been pretty rough, particularly the last few years. Right now we've got wars, rumors of war in Ukraine, and then there's a dozen or so other wars that don't get nearly as much attention. The one in Ukraine probably deserves the most attention because you've got a ruthless authoritarian leader with his finger on a button, potentially, can start dropping nuclear bombs if he gets pushed into a corner too far. That's kind of scary, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to admit it. And so we have work to do. We have light to shine. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. Be a part of that. Do what you can to bring peace into this world, to bring love into this world. It matters. It makes a difference. Because the world goes dim pretty quick. It goes black and white pretty quick. And so we have a hard time believing because we say, God, how come you let this stuff happen? What's with that pandemic the last few years, God? How come you let so many people die and so many people get sick and so many people suffer? How come it has to be like this? And then you've got the isolation, the, the, the mental toll and the emotional toll and the spiritual toll that this pandemic has taken on our world. People have wandered away from their faith. People have wandered away from God. People have wandered away from important essential things. And that's at least in part a contributing factor to the spiking depression rates and anxiety rates and suicide rates. Because we realize, I was hoping in hope, and now I realize there really isn't a whole lot of hope in humanity. When you lose hope in humanity, which very well could happen somewhere along the way, because humanity has fallen. This is an upside-down, broken world. Where do you turn? Now what do you do with that belief? No wonder we're so depressed. No wonder we're so anxious. No wonder we're so lost. No wonder we wander so much. We don't have anything to believe in that's real life. We've got movie fiction and and, and fantasies and made up stories to try to make ourselves feel better and don't worry and be happy. Jesus comes along and he says, "Let let me add some color back to your life. Let me add some spirit and life back to your life. I want you to believe in me. I invite you to believe in me. I'm not going to force it, Jesus says. Just take a closer look. I'm the one who takes your ashes and turns it to beauty. I'll give you beauty for ashes, Jesus says. I'll give you life for death. I'll give you hope for despair. I'll give you purpose and meaning and direction. I'll help you discover why you were created in the first place. So that you can hit your stride. So that you can find the life that you've been looking for for so long. And and it's starting to feel futile and you're starting to lose hope. Because you believed in hope for hope. Instead of believing in hope that's grounded in in something much deeper and much more significant. A God who showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. Lived, died on a cross and rose from the dead. I know it sounds sensational. I know it can be very difficult to believe for our rational minds. But then if that's the case for you I invite you to take a closer look at this story. Jesus comes along, and this is about as aggressive as he ever gets as far as inviting people to follow. He shows up at a funeral. I mean, at the beginning of his ministry, he invites people. He says, follow me. But he says, please, you've got to follow me. If you don't follow me, I'm not going to have a religion. He's not a religion. He's a relationship. He shows up and he says, follow me. Later, <coughs> excuse me, in John chapter 11, he shows up at a funeral for a friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are mourning, and Jesus is friends with them too. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. We believe so much and think so much of that, that line that Jesus said that we engraved it in the original Greek over by the cross underneath the screen and right underneath the Ted Lasso believe sign. Ego eimi e anastasis kai zoe. I am, ego eimi e anastasis, anastasis is resurrection, kai is and a Zoe. If your name is Zoe, your name means life. I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. 
But then he has a follow-up question in the next verse, and this is the big one for you today. It's the most important question you'll ever be asked. Do you believe this? Do you believe, I mean in real life, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection? That he is the one who can overcome death for you? Can wipe out sin for you? Do you believe this? It's the most important question you'll ever be asked because Jesus says, in between the dot, dot, dot and that sentence behind me, anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Well, that's a bold promise. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? And do you have a deeper faith than just sort of intellectually, yes, I believe there's a Jesus? There is no serious historian or scholar left on planet Earth today. There were a few of them maybe a generation or so ago, but they were argued out of, out of the room. <laughs> Even atheistic and agnostic historians and scholars say there was a Jesus. Historically, he lived. There's no doubt about it. There's no serious academic today who says Jesus didn't live. That's really not a debate anymore. The only debate is not did Jesus live and did he die. Everybody agrees on that. All the historians, where the disagreement comes in, and some believe it and some don't, did Jesus really rise from the dead? I'm the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. What do you believe about that in real life? Do you believe this? Is it worthy of your belief? Where you put your faith and your trust? And is it a belief that has some substance and depth to it, the kind of thing that can transform your life and help you find the life you've been looking for forever, ever since you were born? When you think about it, people will say, well, if you could just prove it to me, that Jesus rose from the dead, if Jesus would just show up, then I'd believe it. Would you, though? I mean, if you really have intellectual reasons, there's all sorts of evidence. In fact, there's so many mountains of evidence that if you look at it honestly, it's going to be harder for you not to believe. It's going to be harder for you to not believe than it is for you to believe. It takes more faith not to believe. If you're really interested in this, I've got a podcast coming out this week, and I'll dive deep into the intellectual kind of evidence, the stuff that's there. I mean, if that's really your objection, I just intellectually don't believe that it could happen. I'm going to give you just a taste real quick. There are multiple sources. Mark, our gospel reading for today, Matthew, Luke, John. There's also Peter. There's also Paul. Peter, Paul, and, well, there's Mary, but she didn't write one. But they wrote some good songs kind of folksy. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul. There's even James. James is the brother of Jesus in real life. And he wrote a little epistle that's in your New Testament called James. <laughs> and in that epistle, he testifies to the fact that his brother is the son of God, the savior of the world, the risen one who conquered death, who died and rose from the dead. I don't know how many of you have brothers. I've got two. Do you know what it, I'm not too impressed with them and they're not that impressed with me. That's how it is with brothers. We love each other, but we're not overly impressed with each other. What would it take for you to write that about your brother? My brother is God. My brother rose from the dead. My brother is the savior of the world. You've got all sorts of written evidence like that. You've got thousands, over 5,000 copies of ancient manuscripts from that time period. In that same time period, do you know how many manuscripts, archaeological uh, digs have been able to come up, textual science? You'd think it'd be like, well, there's got to be kind of a 50-50 split there, right? So there's 5,000 plus documents, ancient writings that claim and proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead. There are zero that say he didn't. And it was a big thing. I mean, Christianity spread like wildfire, and it was a threat to the Roman Empire, and it was certainly a threat to the temple priests at the temple in Jerusalem, the, the power bases. They had everything to lose. They needed to quiet this down. They needed to squelch it. Not only that, wouldn't you think one of the disciples, uh, one of the followers of Jesus of the hundreds who were following him at the time, one of them would have cracked? It, would you die for a lie? Because they would be persecuted. They would be arrested. They would be imprisoned. Some of them would be executed. When you're facing your executor and they say, okay, last chance. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because that's why we're putting you to death. You're being executed. You're being arrest arrested. You're being thrown in prison because you won't stop saying you believe in the resurrected Jesus. You won't stop saying saying he's risen and everybody shouts back stop it they say 
but they wouldn't stop. Wouldn't one of them have cracked? Wouldn't one of them have written a document that said, even, even all of the Da Vinci Code, like, secret gospels that were out there, never mind they were written 300 years after Jesus was alive. I mean, seriously, please look into all of it. Nothing to hide here. Sunshine on all of it. Look into the evidence. Why didn't one of them crack? Well, it's possible that it's just sort of coincidental that there are thousands of manuscripts that say he rose from the dead and there's zero that say he didn't. It's possible there's some grand conspiracy theory. But what's probable? What's actually more likely? Just looking at the evidence that we have. It's not like archaeologists aren't trying to find other evidence. It just doesn't exist. Wouldn't one of them have sat down and said, he didn't rise from the dead. Hey, you know what? Don't kill me. Don't arrest me. Set me free. Enough of the lie. Enough of the charade. Uh, enough of the believing in hope for the sake of hope. And believing in belief for the sake of belief. And believing in miracles for the sake of miracles. It didn't happen. Don't kill me. Please. Why didn't anybody say that? Why don't we have a shred of evidence that anybody stood up like that and said, this is nonsense? Why doesn't that exist? What's possible? I mean, there could be some grand conspiracy. What's probable? Here's how the story goes. Jesus died on a cross. Nobody disputes that. He was really dead. There was a Roman soldier assigned there. His job was to make sure the crucified were really dead. So he tests it. He puts his spear into Jesus' side, and Jesus is clearly dead because of the outcome of that. They take his dead body off of the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, who loves the Lord, who follows Jesus, can't stand the thought of Jesus being thrown in a Basically a garbage heap pile of all the other crucified criminals. So he says, I've got a tomb. He's a man of some wealth. And he says, I've got a tomb and I'd like to take Jesus' dead body with your permission, O Roman Empire. I'd like to take Jesus' dead body and put it in my tomb. Would that be okay? Pilate saw a good angle on this. He says, not only would that be okay, that'd be great. Because if we throw him in the pile, people will say he'll just kind of get lost in the midst of it. They, they, all their bodies get burned. And people will say he rose from the dead. And then it'll be this just big debate. If we put his actual body in the tomb and we wrap it like a mummy, then if people start saying he's risen from the dead, we'll just pull out his dead body, put it on public display, and everybody will see that he wasn't risen from the dead. Why couldn't they do that? They certainly had the power. They certainly had the authority. They certainly had everything to lose if Jesus rose from the dead. Why didn't they do it? What's possible? Plenty of things, I suppose. What's probable? When you start to add all this stuff up, when you start to put all these pieces together, what if Jesus in real life rose from the dead? Because he did. The Apostle Paul writes deep in the New Testament, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we as Christians are the most of all to be pitied people in the whole world because we're wasting our time, we're spinning our wheels. Our faith is not based on a private vision that somebody had and said, please believe me. It's based on something that actually happened in the real world. And if it did, it's the most important thing that ever happened. And if it didn't, it should be dismissed and we should stop doing church. But what it can't be is mildly important. And yet that's what it is for most of us. Oh, there's more important things in my life than Jesus. Really? What would that be exactly? Who else saves your soul for eternity? Who else wipes away all your sins? Who else puts you on a path that allows you to have the life that you've been longing for your whole life? Now that's a kind of belief that we can sink our teeth into. If it happened, if it's real, if Jesus really rose from the dead and the evidence is overwhelming. So the Roman soldier's there and then on Easter morning, which is where we pick up the story today, it's why we're all dressed up and everybody puts on their, all, all the cute little dresses the girls are wearing and, and, and boys are wearing suits and ties and, and, and just, we're all dressed to the nines, it's Easter. We're packing God's house. God, we're doing you a big favor here today. I'm doing you the favor, God says, with all due respect, with nothing but love for you in my heart. The pleasure is all mine, Jesus says. My gift of life for you. Do you believe this? The women come to the tomb and the tombstone's rolled away and, and they're scared. Here's another piece of evidence. They came to the tombstone carrying burial spices according to their religious custom. If they came there thinking Jesus was resurrected, if they wanted to start a, a new religion, if they wanted to make up a, a lie, a story, hey, Jesus rose from the dead because we just need to believe in hope for the sake of hope. We need to make this up. It'll make us feel better. 
Why did they show up with burial spices if they thought he was still alive? You say, what does that matter? Why would you write a story as disciples where you look like faithless people? If you were going to make up a story, wouldn't you make up a story that makes you look like you knew it all along? That when Jesus said he was going to die and rise from the dead three times before it happened, you believed it with such a depth of belief and faith that you knew it was going to happen. And so you showed up Sunday morning and you hung out just outside of where the guards were and you just stood there and waited for the resurrection to happen. Because Jesus said it was going to happen, so you had such faith. You had such heroic faith. There you are. If you were going to make up a story about Jesus' resurrection, wouldn't you write yourself in as the hero? Would you write yourself in as a bunch of cowards who are hiding out in a house because you're afraid you're going to be the next one crucified? The only people who have enough courage to show up at the tomb are these women, which I'm not going to comment on, but the women seem to be strong and the men are freaking out. Just leave it at that. And in a misogynistic society like the first century Roman Empire, You would not put women at the tomb as the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. You'd make up a story where men would be the ones showing up. For that culture, that's what you'd have to write if you were making it up. Otherwise, people might not believe you. Why would you write a story with women at the tomb, with you freaking out, not being heroic at all, showing no faith whatsoever, coming to the tomb, even the women who had the courage, coming to the tomb because they knew Jesus was dead. They didn't come to the tomb on Easter morning thinking he'd be alive. They knew he'd be dead. Why would you bring burial spices to a resurrection party? What's probable? Why would the story be written this way? Because it's the way it happened. Because it's the truth in real life. The stone was rolled away and the women started to freak out. And then they really freaked out when they looked inside the tomb and there was no body of Jesus in there. Instead they saw an angel, a warrior from heaven, who clearly probably wiped out the Roman regiment and pushed them aside. Pilate sealed the tomb, assigned a whole Roman regiment to guard it. They're trained killers. They're armed, but then a warrior from heaven comes down, blows them away. The Bible says they shook like leaves, these trained killers who'd be executed if they let anybody in. So they're motivated to guard the tomb. It's sealed. It's not just a two-ton stone in front of the empty tomb. It's sealed, and it's got the Roman Empire seal on it. So the women did not expect to see this when they showed up. They looked in, and this warrior, this angel who's intimidating them says, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? And then he says the famous line that we repeat. He says, he is risen. And the women didn't say, he is risen indeed. When the angel said, he is risen, they're like, what? And they freaked out, and they ran back to the hideout. And as they're running, Matthew and Luke's gospel fills in the blanks and says they started to think, wait a minute. He told us this would happen, and they started to get overjoyed, overwhelmed with joy. Maybe, just maybe, he's physically risen from the dead, just like he said he would. Who knows what they believe for sure yet. They will believe, but they get back to the hideout, and they tell the disciples. Peter jumps right up because he acts first and thinks second, and he starts sprinting to the tomb, and then John comes running after him. And in John's gospel version of this, I think this is so funny, John names the other 11 disciples that Jesus chose. He never names himself, but if you do the math and just kind of sort it out, you realize the only one he didn't name is John, so that's him. But he's so humble. He calls himself the disciple Jesus loved the most. And so he says the disciple, the other disciple that Jesus loved the most is running to the tomb. And he also notes, and he got there first. <laughs> Even though Peter had that start, I thought I'd just tell you that I got there first. So John's the track star. John's the one that Jesus loves the most. And John looks in the tomb and John says, and I'm the first one who believed. Peter looked in, saw the same thing I did, and he wondered. He wasn't sure you know Pete. And he goes flying back. He will believe. Jesus will appear to him. And he'll appear to all the disciples. And the Apostle Paul will say, if you don't believe us, then ask the other 500 plus witnesses who know Jesus was dead and they've seen him alive. Go figure. What's probable? What makes the most sense? So we have these intellectual reasons to believe. Mary comes back, and Jesus calls her by name, and she says, Teacher, Rabboni, it's you. She believes. Now John believes. The disciples are going to believe. 500-plus witnesses are going to believe when they see Jesus risen from the dead. So they start living a new life, because now they're believing in something that happened for real. They're believing in a public event, 
And that's what Christianity is based in. Something that actually happened in the real world. Do you believe this? Some of you are skeptics, and that's what I love about this story. Is for us, there's Thomas, for the doubters. Thomas shows up, he's still, people are now starting to say, we saw him, he's risen. Oh, sure, you saw a vision, a hallucination. Of course, you all shared the exact same one, but never mind that. That's not probable at all that you'd all share the exact same private hallucination. But I'm not going to believe it till I examine the holes where the nails went through and, and the side where his, his side was pierced with the sword. There, there's no way. It can't be. And right at that moment, Jesus shows up and goes, hey, Tommy, check me out. That's a paraphrase, but it's pretty close, I think. <laughs> Thomas crumbles, and he does his examination, and he says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says to him what he says to the skeptics today, with all the love in his heart. It'd be better for you, you'd be more blessed if you could believe in me without needing to see it. Without needing the evidence, without needing the proof. Because then you'd have faith. Think about this. Think about your best friend. What's that friendship based in? If you don't have trust, if you don't have faith, if you don't believe in each other, what do you have? What if you just said, you, my friend, exist? And that's as far as it goes. I don't trust you, I don't believe in you, but you exist. That's the way a lot of us believe in God. I believe God exists. I believe Jesus existed. So I believe. I invite you to a deeper faith today. In a real Jesus who lived, died, and rose from the dead in the real world. What if in my relationship with my wife, I've been married to Sally for over 30 years, it's the greatest blessing that God's ever given me. What if I said to her um, on a daily basis, when I wanted to get, you know, really kind of, you know, intimate and romantic, I believe you exist. I believe you're real. I believe that you actually live on this earth. What if that's as far as I... I, I ever took the relationship. What kind of a marriage would we have? I love her. And the reason I love her is I trust her. I have faith in her. I believe in her. I don't need proof. I, I, I trust. I, I, I believe. My, my, my hope is well placed. My faith is well placed. Let me give you another illustration about the difference between a shallow faith and a deeper faith that God invites us to because he's risen from the dead. His son, Jesus, has risen from the dead. When I was a young pastor, I got invited to speak at a church conference in Vegas, because that's where pastors hang out. <laughs> I do not know why they had this in Vegas. After I spoke in the morning, uh, a pastor friend of mine was there. And he says, hey, uh, let's, let's go do something. Um, he says, what do you want to do? I says, well, I don't want to gamble, because I know how to do math. So I, 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 that's not appealing to me. I said, but I'm a, I'm a racing fan. He goes, oh, I am too. I said, there's a racetrack, a NASCAR track, just on the north side of Vegas. Let's go up there and see what's happening. So we got in the rental car. We drove up there. I don't feel like I need to proselytize you on racing. It's sort of like country music. You either like it or you don't. I don't, I don't care if you don't. If you don't like racing, I'm cool with that. If it's just left turns to you, I get it. To me, it's speed. It's color. It's noise. It's strategy. It's ballet for rednecks when they do the pit crew stuff. I mean, it's just, it's all packaged together. It's this beautiful thing for me. That's just me. It doesn't have to be you. I don't, I, whatever. Just know that I'm passionate about this stuff. And I always have been. So I show up at the track and it was even better than I had hoped. Because the Richard Petty racing experience has a big sign there. And they're there and the gate is open. And I go up to the guy he's like, can we get in one of the cars? And they're like, well, you just made it. I was going to just close the gate. This is our last session of the day. I'm like, sign me up. He says, well, here, just sign right here. And I'm reading this long legal document. I says, but can you sum this up? What does it say? It says, if you die, it's not our fault. <laughs> okay, I'll just sign right there. And so I go in, and then they're just finishing up the instruction session before everybody goes out in the race cars. And I wanted to do the drive along. I didn't want to do, I know you can go to tracks and drive your own car, but they pace you and they don't really let you go top speed. When you get in a car with a professional driver, you can actually feel what it's like. That's what I wanted. I'd never done it before. I wanted to feel what it was actually like to be in one of these cars. So I get there. The guy says, yep, you can get in. When I get into the room, the instructor says, who'd like to go first? And everybody's seating, sitting, and my friend and I are standing in the back, and nobody's volunteering, so he points to me. He goes, you, how about you? I'm like, uh, okay, do I, do I need to know anything that you just taught everybody for 20 minutes? He's like, no, you'll be fine. Put on a fire suit. He goes, uh-oh, you're kind of tall. All we've got left is medium. 
So my fire suit, I kid you not, went just past the knee. And let's just say it was really tight from here to here-ish. And I'm kind of hunched over, I'm gonna walk in like this. And I have no fire protection from my knee to my shoes. I thought that could be dangerous if there's a fire that breaks out or something like that. And so I'm kind of hunching along and then he says, oh, you need a helmet too. I'm like, great, he goes, don't worry, it's one size fits all. That's a lie. I found that to be a lie my whole life. I don't want you to judge me or start looking at me sideways, but I have a freakishly large melon. I mean, it kind of fits my six foot five inch frame and everything, but, but it, on you it might look really weird if you're not really tall or big, but I have this, this only melon I know that's bigger is Pastor Eric up at Hope Grimes, but, and I'm so glad I met him because that guy's a freak, man. That guy, <laughs> he's also a three-time All-American wrestling champion from Iowa State, so now I, I'm just kidding. I was just totally kidding, Eric. I love you. Your head's beautiful. But I put on this one-size-fits-all helmet, and it's like open face, and it's pressing my cheeks out like this. And then they go, okay, stand here for a picture. So I'm standing in my hunched over. <laughs> and I've got that picture, and you think I'm going to put it on the screen. I am not. You're just going to have to use your imagination. Trust me, that picture's out there. No one but my wife and I will ever see it. So I, I get out there, and I'm like, well, I wonder who my professional driver is that I'm going to drive with. And along, here comes this kid in a race suit, and he goes, you ready to go? <laughs> His voice hasn't even changed yet. I'm guessing he's 14. He goes, my name is, and he, I don't remember. I was freaking out. I don't remember what he said his name was. In my mind, he'll always be known as Skippy. And he says, hey, let's go. Let's get in the car. Hop in. And he jumps in the number five Terry Labonte Chevrolet that Terry Labonte actually drove in a race. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. He's four foot one or something, so he just hops right in. There's no door. He goes in through the window. He says, come on, get in. And so I'm trying to get in, and I said, give me about 20 minutes, and I'll get there. And I, I kind of wiggle my way in, and I'm in this custom-made kind of passenger seat they put in there. And then I go to sit up, and I realize I can't sit up because the top of my helmet's hitting the roof. So I'm sitting in here kind of sideways, already crunched with my fire suit that's not covering anything from the knee down, wearing a helmet that's pressing my face in, and Skippy says, you ready to go? I'm like, let's go, yeah, this is fine, get it over with. It's like, I feel like I'm having surgery here, I should be put out for this. So he, he hits the gas, and we're rumbling down pit road. Pit road speed's about 60 miles an hour, and the car is just I thought, that can't be good. This thing's falling apart. I find out later, I mean, I kind of knew this from watching all these races. They're not made to go 60 miles an hour. They're made to go like 195. And when they go 195, you don't feel, they're smooth as silk. So he hits it, he comes out of the pit, hits the, the banking, steep banking of turn one on this track in Vegas. And, and he hits it, now he's excel. Skippy is aggressive. I mean, he's pushing it, he's, he's hauling. The, the thing's making this new noise. It's like a rocket is taking off. The G-forces, we go around turn one, he's still accelerating. Go around turn two, he says, hold on! And he punches the thing. I mean, he punches it. And I'm feeling, whoa! I, I would have been like shot back in my seat, except again, my head is wedged against the ribs. I'm like, <laughs> We're going, I would guess, 190 by the time we get to turn three. We're flying. You know how when you're driving and you need to make a left turn and you realize you missed it? <laughs> and you're going to have to take the next left and just circle back? We were a good three to five seconds past that point in my mind. And suddenly my life, I'm not kidding, flashed before me. It's like, I'm going to die. I think we blew a tire. I've got a 14-year-old here who's going to drive me into the concrete wall. I'm going to save his life because he's just going to press into me. But I'm going straight into the concrete. All this is running through my head. And then it gets to the thought as I flash through my whole life. I get to that moment. It all took about a second. I get to that moment where like, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell my wife I'm here. That's great. She'll find out I died in the headlines of the Des Moines Register. Pastor dies in Vegas. Wife didn't know where he was. <laughs> That's not the way you want to go out. But I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm, I, I thought at the least we were going to crash. And I hoped 
you know, safety stuff would save my life. But death was definitely something I, was, I thought, this could be it. Because there's no way we can make that turn now. There's no, we're past that point. And all of a sudden the car did what, it, did what it was engineered to do. It just sucks into the curve, into the banking of the curve. Skippy even more aggressively takes it down to the bottom groove. He pushes through turn three out of turn four. He hits it even harder, coming back to the start-finish line. He says, how you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'll never forget this, faster! Because <laughs> I did not, I believe Skippy existed going into turn three. I trusted Skippy with my life coming back to the start-finish line. And the next 10 laps were glorious. I'm telling you, if you believe in Jesus Christ like that, the rest of your life, this side of heaven, not just eternally in heaven, is going to be glorious. I didn't say it's going to be perfect. I didn't say there wouldn't be suffering. I didn't say there wouldn't be sorrow and detours and all sorts of surprises, bad ones along the way. But you're going to walk with the same confidence of the one you have faith in and belong to. The two become one in a marriage when it's right. When you have that kind of belief, that kind of faith in somebody, you just say, I just want to go for the ride with you. I trust you. You drive. I'll come along with you, Jesus. You are worthy of that kind of faith. You alone are worthy of that kind of belief. There's no, Lord, to whom else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. So let me ask you again what Jesus asked his followers. Do you believe this? That on the resurrection and the life, will you get in the car with me instead of just saying, I believe God exists? Will you ride with me? Will you take this ride with life through life with me? Will you let me drive? Do you have that kind of faith? Because I'm telling you, if you do, it's going to change everything. I know some people say it's just still too hard. It's 2,000 years away, uh, 2,000 years ago, and half a world away. Well, what if it happened right here in Des Moines, Iowa? The death and resurrection of Jesus this weekend. We're blessed with a lot of wonderful local news media who are part of our church family, so we got them together and. They came up with this. Maybe this will make it more real for you because this happened. Jesus rose from the dead in real life. Maybe this is how it would go if it happened right here, right now. We interrupt this Hope Easter sermon to bring you breaking news. Multiple reports are coming in this morning that the body of Jesus is missing. Details are sketchy, but we're getting word of a disturbance in the early morning hours at his tomb. Jesus, the leader of a radical movement that has sprung up in the past few years, was nailed to a cross just this past Friday. He gained attention last week as he entered the city to large crowds spontaneously praising him as their king. The National Guard has been tight-lipped about what has happened here. Associates of Jesus fear the body's been moved by officials, but others are blaming his supporters for trespassing. It's still unclear what happened here in the early morning hours. My superiors want to keep this quiet, but I saw it. This overwhelming light, be brighter than the sun. And the ground was shaking. Then this warrior appears. Bigger than anything I've ever seen in my life. That's what happened. We're still trying to make sense of what we're picking up on radar this morning. I see lots of activity over the area everyone's talking about. Two earthquakes in the span of three days, and the one this morning coincided with lights observed in the sky. I've never seen anything like this. Now, Mary, you were a good friend of Jesus. I still am. What do you mean? Well, I saw him just today, this morning, actually. I didn't know it was him at first, but he appeared to me. He spoke to me, and he called me by name. He's alive. Excuse me? Hundreds witnessed his death just this last Friday, with authorities going so far as to put a spear into his side to verify. With so many now coming forward to share their accounts of seeing him alive, those numbers are now rising into the hundreds. Well, it's impossible. There have been hundreds of witnesses. What, do you think they're all lying? Uh, okay, and how do you explain like a bunch of followers who all but disappear when Jesus was arrested and then suddenly find the courage to overwhelm a dozen armed guards and steal his body? Exactly, where's his body? If Jesus is still dead, then why can't anyone who's got the power to do so and everything to lose Find his body. As witness statements continue to pile up, it's becoming hard to discount this news as just a rumor that this man, Jesus, who was killed on Friday, may actually be alive. 
And if that's true... Oh, Rhea, just a second. I'm getting word that we have some new video that just came in from a viewer. Can we take a look at that? We ended it right where Mark's gospel ends. It's really up to you now. Do you believe this? The last word in Mark's original ending to his gospel is the women ran away from the tomb terrified, frightened. It'd be nice to see that cell phone video of the risen Jesus, then you could believe, right? But we get that backwards. In this world, we say, seeing is believing. If I could see the risen Jesus depicted on that stained glass window, then I'd believe in him. And until I see him, I'm not going to believe him. Just like Thomas said. But we get that backwards, and Jesus corrects Thomas with love and gentleness. He says, Thomas, seeing isn't believing when it comes to faith. If you want to have a deeper faith, if you want to find the full abundant life, if you want to believe in something that's worthy of your belief, believing is seeing. When you believe it, you start to see things, new things, the things you've been missing all along. It's like the character in the Field of Dreams movie. He says, when did these baseball players get here, Ray? They've been here the whole time. Just because you didn't see them doesn't mean they haven't been playing baseball the whole time. You just didn't have any faith. So you couldn't see it. Believing leads to seeing, not the other way around when it comes to faith. And so it is with Jesus. How many things have you missed? Because there's a follow-up question to do you believe this. It's, what have you been missing because you don't? What miracles have you been missing? Because I'm here to tell you, I can testify, miracles happen around here all the time. I've been a pastor here at Hope for almost three decades. And I could, I could, just, I could go on forever about all the things that I've seen. On a weekly basis, we see things that are just extraordinary. When I was a young pastor, I was called into a hospital room in downtown Des Moines. It was a member of our church who was dying. His whole family was there praying, vigil circling around his bed. They knew he was going to die. The doctor said, you need to, to me on the way in, you need to prepare them. He's not going to make it through the night. Sure enough, not long after that, a few minutes after that, he flatlined. The doctor, so gracious, so kind, so wonderful, came in and marked it, time of death, write it down. And then his wife started to pray. I don't remember what she prayed. It really doesn't matter. A few others in the family prayed. And when we got done praying, he woke up. I'm not going to play with you. I'm not going to be like, oh, that happens every time. It certainly does not. It's very unusual in my experience. But I saw it happen once. I've seen couples come into this church who are ready for divorce. They said, we just want to do it amicably. I'm done the other person's done, we're out, it's done. And then sometimes, not all the time, they fall back in love again. And God points them to this whole new life. Then there's the young couples who come in and they, they say, well, we want to have a baby. And we've been trying for 10 years. And they can't do it and they're struggling with infertility. And God leads them to something new. And sometimes miracle babies are born. You're sitting in the midst of them right now. Some of them are 18 years old that are sitting by you right now. I'm telling you, miracles happen. And when you believe it, you start to see these things, the things you've been missing. There are people in this church who are addicted to alcohol or were and addicted to some other drug besides alcohol. And they tried to quit. They tried to will themselves to stop over and over and over again, but they couldn't stop until they surrendered their lives to Jesus, until they got a deeper belief, a deeper faith in a higher power. They surrendered it to God. I haven't been able to have the power to stop drinking, but God, I think you can do it through me. I want to see if you can. And God did. But the best miracles that I've seen are, are, are the ones that, that go from no faith to faith, from atheism to fully devoted follower of Jesus. They're the people who come in and, and say, well, I, 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 I had a guy tell me a, a few years ago, he said, I just want you to know for the sake of integrity, my wife is going to come to this church and my kids are going to come to this church because we want to teach them, you know, good things. I just want you to know for integrity, I don't believe it. I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. Are you okay with that? Is it okay if I still come once in a while? Yeah. Because I know when God's word goes out, it doesn't come back empty. The more you hang out in God's house, you get back into the habits. If you've gotten out of the habit, it's time to get back in. 
God said worship weekly because it's a blessing to us when we do. Not just when you can, when you can fit it in, when you aren't too busy. God God said pray diligently. Not just to do it, not just to check it off the box, but because you have this relationship with God. You have this faith. God said to serve and to give and and to come together and to hope groups and to do community life together. Are you doing that? Because when you do, it increases your faith. You start to realize Get into the relationship. Instead of having this distance between you and God, it's time to come home. I'll change your heart. I'll give you a new heart. I'll take your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, God says. You're sitting in the midst of a miracle. This church, when we first started, it was 12 people on a good Sunday. Four of them were householders. Two of them were the organist and his wife. There were six people who were there by their own choice. And that lasted for a while, much longer than I was comfortable with. That was a good Sunday. And I started to worry. We're not going to be able to do this. We're not going to be able to make this church go. And so we were humbled and we surrendered. We said, God, we believe in you. We've seen where we can take the church. We'd like to see where you can take the church. And God's done this miracle. I mean, you're sitting, look, I, I don't even know what this is. This was never the plan. I'm telling you, when you believe, when you trust God like that, you start to see things. When did these baseball players get here, Ray? The ride gets better. Hit it, Skippy. Let's go. I was born for this. Let's roll. Does that describe your life? You said, no, it can't because the world's too dark. It's too too depressing. There's too much sorrow. I'm going through a hard time. I'm sick. My loved ones are sick. I'm grieving. I'm mourning. The resurrected Jesus says, I can give you an untouchable joy. And it doesn't mean you won't suffer, but my joy will break through. I can give you a hope that you can hold on to in the midst of this. It's not hope for the sake of hope. It's hope that's grounded in a real world event. For God so loved the world. Everyone say loved. That he gave you his only son. That if you just, come on church, if you just, what's the next word? You will not perish. But you'll have everlasting life. Do you believe this? On the way out, you're going to get a little card. It's our Easter gift to you. We spare no expense in this church on the extravagant gifts that we give you on the way out. We'd rather give a million dollars to refugees in Ukraine and then just give you a little, like, half-cent card on the way out. I mean, it's a tenth, but we made it ourselves. But you can put this on your fridge or your bathroom mirror or your office on the bulletin board or on the computer or in your purse or in your wallet or wherever you go. Put it in your pocket so that you remember. You've got something to believe in. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Because if you do, if you're able, I want you to stand up. Just like Coach Lasso said to his team. Come on, team. Now, we're too big of a team to circle up. And plus, it's COVID, and I don't like all the touchy-feely stuff at church anyway. It's bad enough we got to say hi to each other in the middle of the service, right? I'm way too reserved and introverted for that. But So let's symbolically do it. Put your hand in if you believe it. If you believe Jesus is the resurrection and life, if you believe that he's the one who gives eternal life, who kicks open the door to heaven for you, who breathes new life into you, who will lead you to the life that you've been looking for your whole life, who can conquer sin and death for you, who says that stuff you're up against, that's real, and, I'm, and it hurts, and I'm with you in the midst of it. You're not alone, but I want you to look closer at that suffering, and I want you to hear me say this, Jesus says, it will not stand, but I will. The relationship you have with me will last forever. The suffering you're up against is temporary. If you believe it, all in, hands in. And on the count of three, we're not going to say in the name of our soccer team. We're going to say the name of our Savior. One, two, three. He is risen. Come on, let's stand up and celebrate, church. Happy Easter.